Welcome to the Transform Sales Podcast, where forward-thinking business leaders come to share their experiences and ideas, learn from each other, and amplify their results together. Hey guys, what's up? Amir Ryder here for another episode of Transform Sales Podcast. I have my guest, Katrina Hotch, I think I pronounced it, VP of oh. Global Marketing. Hoch. Hoch. I, I botched Sorry, last I'm not going to make you talk in German. Don't worry, Amir. I, I'm actually, my grandparents are German. It's the writer last okay. name, but I, I think I botched last names on purpose, but I appreciate you being on the show. I, uh, I love your content. I'm actually a big consumer of it and I always share it. So, and you know, it's true because you've seen me share it, but uh, thank you again for, for joining. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for the invite. Um, yeah, all good. Yeah, it's Friday afternoon in the UK, almost pub time. So uh, all good. Where, where, so you're based in the UK, but German I'm background. in the UK. Yeah, awesome. exactly. Awesome. So so Operatics has been one of the, the, the faster growing sales agencies out there. I'm sure you had a lot to do with that, with all your amazing demand gen. Um, but we love to have, we love to have open conversations and talk about you know, people, agencies, best buyers, and also mistakes that buyers make before getting into that. We'd love to know your journey. How did you get into the outsource sales world to begin with? What's what brought you to this world? Right. So I think I landed in this world a little bit by, by accident, uh, but I think I, I was one of the great examples of um, the culture of operatics, which is a promote from within culture. So I actually started as an SDR for the German market. Um, for those that don't know, I'm half German and half Brazilian, so you can definitely listen, uh, hear a bit of a German accent there. So um, when I moved from Brazil to the UK, I um, I was looking into into you know going into a new career, and I started in the SDR world. Although my background has always been in marketing, and at the time my English wasn't great, so I needed to work in German or Portuguese, and that's how I ended up in the SDR world, and that's how I ended up in operatics. So I did the SDR job for six months. It built great foundations um, to get into the B2B tech world. Yeah. And I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to go back into marketing, which is uh, where my passion is. Yeah. Um, and so I started as a marketing manager at Operatics, and now I'm the VP of marketing after seven years. And I'm also part of the board member, uh, board, uh, um, board, the, board member. Of, yeah, exactly. Thank you. Um, so, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's been quite an exciting journey and it's great to, to be part of that growth, uh, from, I don't, I think when we, when I joined, we were like 30 people and now we are 300. So it's pretty yeah, cool. Well, you're, you're glowing just talking about it. And I, I, you know, I could feel your sense of pride and I, I honestly don't know any VPs of marketing that actually have done the SDR work first. Right. So it's all making sense now why your content's so awesome because you actually are you're actually creating it from the perspective of being an expert at what is a hard position right and, and not that easy for many um do you think that your your time as an sdr has helped you with demand gen and content in general where you just have like this first person perspective of what is needed yeah 100 percent, and I, th I think the sdr role overall builds great foundations when it comes to sales and marketing because you really have to understand your buyer you need to understand your icp you have to be very good in, in the messaging and kind of boiling down really the value of the company that you're pitching and obviously me having done the job um i, I had to go through all of these phases and also having had that relationship with my account managers at the time and my customers i also could put myself in their shoes to and understand why why they were hiring operatics what were their needs and 
and how we could be helpful for them. So I think uh, it was, yeah, it was super important for me to have done the job. And I didn't know you were an SDR first, so it's all making sense because I, yeah. I did like your content and I found it to be the least fluffy content out there. The most, it seemed like the person creating it actually understood the role. So uh, it all makes sense now. And it's an awesome journey um, to go from an SDR to a marketing leader, which is your passion, right? But it's all generating revenue. So I feel like, you know, when people listen to this, it's like, it's like marketing and sales, I think are all revenue, right? So I think it's more of moving up to a place where you can really show your skills. Um, cool that you also learned English, you know, at the same time. So now you have three languages you speak fluently, which is great. Talk to me a little bit about bi operatics. What, you know, you guys have been highly successful. You've, you've grown tremendously. You know, I think we've had your CEO on the uh, on a recent call with uh, John Barrows and the SDR efficiency role talking about all his growth. Like what, what's, who do you guys serve the best, you know, and where do you serve them? Are, are, do you guys focus mainly on software or services? Do you, EMEA, Europe market, US market. What is your, what's your top, what's your top buyer profile that you guys help? Yeah. So we, we work exclusively in the B2B tech market, right? So uh, our client are mostly SaaS vendors. Um, and we, that, that's kind of one of our USBs that we really only focus on tech. So we understand mm -hmm. very well the buying centers or the decision makers involved. Um, some of the industries that we work in are cybersecurity, big data, IoT, infrastructure, uh, cloud. So typically companies that have long and complex sales cycles and that mm -hmm. really need that kind of multi-threading and um, very focused target accounts that they need to get into. So that's where we really um, thrive. So you guys um, focus on technology, right? Yeah, 100% okay. technology. Yeah, on, only B2B tech. And then in terms of geographies, um, so we we operate globally. Um, so we have an office in in Hampshire in the UK near London. So that's our where our headquarters are. So we have a strong presence in EMEA. We have over 20 language capabilities in terms of the, the, the coverage in, in Europe. Um, we opened an office in the US in 2016 in Dallas. Uh, so through that office, we serve the North American market and LATAM. So we also have Spanish speakers there okay. and Portuguese speakers. Um, and then we recently opened uh, Singapore. So that's actually quite a new, um, uh, yeah, it, it's, new it's recent. Now yeah. Ray's actually, our CEO, he's going to Singapore in two weeks time. Um, and we hired our first man on the ground there. We already have some reps working on, on APAC campaigns uh, remotely. Um, so yeah, we are conquering the world, which is exciting. So you, guys, so you guys are conquering the world, which is awesome. And I want to poke at your questions a little bit more because I, I kind of expected you to go to, to, to mention all this amazing world growth, right? SAS, I got, we're on page there, right? Um, you mentioned something about a complex sales cycle. Does that have to do with an ACV rate where you guys are better servicing a client with like a 35 to 55 K ACV rate? And if so, what is that ACV sweet spot for you guys? Yeah, I think I think we are very much business case driven. So like we 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 want to serve clients that see ROI from what we do. Okay. And because we are not an expensive solution, not not a cheap solution, right? Like we 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 have very qualified people doing what we do, and um, often it justifies working with a company like us when the ACV is above fifty k. I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some companies where they have long um contracts or like over multi-year contracts 
often the ACV is a little bit lower, but it justifies, uh, you know, investing in a company like us for for the length of the contracts or for the lifetime value. Yeah. Um, and often companies they they just have they have low average deal values, but they have a massive focus on client acquisition and they see it on the long term. So we do make it very clear to the customers that we really work on based on ROI and we always build a business case whenever we talk to the customers. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if we do have customers coming to us saying our average deal value is low, but we understand that we need to make that investment at front and then it will, it will pay off um, throughout long contracts, then that absolutely makes sense for us as well. But typically they will have average deal values 50 to 100k. It's an interesting that. way how you answered that question, right? Because I think I think you know, for for me, I understand that that sweet spot allows most partners to really establish clear a clear ROI track record, right? But I I also think that sometimes that we tend to go that direction just because buyers are not really ready to calculate the the time it takes because ROI means nothing without a time frame, right? So it's like it doesn't mean you know what I mean. So it's it's like. ROI over 12 months, ROI over a year, right? LTV. And a lot of times you guys don't know this. So I, I, I make sure it, make, it, it makes sense why that's your sweet spot. And I, it's very common. But you said something that stood out to me where you're like, we're not cheap, right? But I'll ask you a question. If during normal market conditions, a software company can have a 10x valuation on 1 million in revenue. So now it's $10 million. Why would that require a cheap provider? I... I think value is completely um, subjective, right? So like mm-hmm. you may think something is cheap and I may think something is expensive. It depends on how much value we put on it. Yeah. So so I, some companies will say we are super cheap because we generate an extreme ROI to them. And yeah. some companies will say we are expensive because they didn't see the value in it. So I think it's hard to talk about cheap and expensive. I think it's more about the value that we deliver. Um, and the value would be, I'm the one saying that you guys are cheap and, and saying that you deliver value, you know, so, so I think it's interesting because I hearing you say that, right. I, I, I think, first of all, the word cheap or expensive, like I, I would probably want to invest more in generating revenue, right? Like I probably would never want to go the cheap route, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I think that like, I think what you're getting into really is, and it's going to be the next question about like buyer behavior, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's more about buyer behavior and perception and they might think something's expensive, but they might not even know their own business model. They might not even know that a 1 million revenue is 10x, right? Because now if you're like, hey, you're going to invest a million dollars, but you're going to get, you know, 1.5 million in cash over three years and call it, you know, $15 million valuation. One would say that that price might seem expensive, but you're getting three times your money and it's a great deal. Yeah. Before we get into that, what separates you guys from other agencies besides the global Besides your focus USP on, on software, what would you say separates you guys? Yeah, I, th- I think um, the, the fact that we are specialists in tech, that definitely is a USP um, because obviously it, it, it's such a complex um, infrastructure and, and different buying centers. So obviously that is certainly part of our USP. It's the fact that we are global as well. So um, often especially with larger vendors where they want like one one central point of contact that they like we deal with the whole global campaign i think that's another really important point um and kind of knowing the intricacies of all of the local cultures you know especially yeah. in europe where there is so many different language languages and cultures and then obviously our our teams are all based in those countries right so like 
the US team is based in Dallas, the, the EMEA team is based in London, or, you know, so living in the countries does make a difference in terms of the cultural understanding. Um, yeah. So, and then I think the third piece in terms of what makes us different, us being a service business, it's our people that make us different. And I know that yeah. sounds a little bit like, oh, everybody says that. But we have a very strong promote from within culture. So like yeah. we really build a really strong culture at Operatics and we have a um, very well structured onboarding training and an academy to, to kind of further the development of all of our, our team members and our reps. So um, it's definitely that investment in the culture and the people that do make us different because when, even when you look at our reviews from our customers on platforms like G2 or Clutch, sometimes they even shout out the name of the rep that they're working yeah, with. Yeah. Because really, you know, the fact that we are an outsourced vendor, uh, there is sometimes a little bit of misunderstanding or companies just see us as like a provider or a third party, but really we are part of their team, right? We, we are representing their brand. We call and we email and we reach out to people on behalf of them. Like we, we are part of their company. Yeah. And um, so that integration and that quality of the team members that are working on behalf of our customers, this is so key for us. Um, and it definitely is something that makes us different. Um, and that is super important oh, for us. So, you know, I love your answer because you mentioned a lot of things, right? And you're smiling the whole time, which shows that you mean it and you're proud about it because you, you I, I, I could sense the feeling that you feel like you're, you've been part of that growth, right? I think you, you've been part of what separates you apart. Surprised you didn't say it was your amazing marketing team that separates you guys apart. <laughs> but, you know, just to recap, what, what, what sets you guys apart from other B2B lead gen outsource agencies is domain expertise in software, right? Mm -hmm. A global footprint with global yeah. teams that understand the local, local language and the way that you connect your global team and promote from within allows you guys to be a preferred partner for software companies looking to launch campaigns, right? Yeah, 100%. And, and the academy, I guess that, you know, it's obviously the, the ongoing training and um, and how we qualify, like go through the whole recruitment qualification and training of the team. Yeah, makes sense to me. Talk to me about problem uh, mistakes that buyers make when they're selecting a vendor. And I, I always do the recap of, these aren't mistakes that affect your ability to convert them as a client, but mistakes mm -hmm. that would ultimately hurt someone's accuracy during their buying selection, right? Like, like they're just asking the wrong questions, looking under the wrong rocks. And you're like, mm, you're not, you're not, you're, you're, you're hurting yourself from finding the right partner. What, what's, I, what have you seen? I love that question, Amir. Um, because I think um, I would say like the number one mistake is that companies underestimate the complexity of sales development teams. So yeah. we do often hear companies that say, oh, why am I going to outsource if I can just go and build my own team, right? And there is absolutely nothing wrong in building an internal team. And often this is 100% the right thing to do. But you do need a lot of time, resources, investment, management. And, and there is so much that can go wrong with building your internal team that I think when companies come to us and and they have they are kind of questioning themselves, should I build a team or should I not? And we always encourage them, go and build your team. And in six months' time, we're gonna talk again <laughs> because yeah. they do come back, you know. Um, and I think you mentioned the SDR handbook that we recently released, which is the is an ebook, um, and it's literally like a step-by-step -step 
uh, process of how to build and manage an SDR team. And often companies would say, oh, why are you giving away your secret sauce? Like, why are you telling people how to do your job? You're like, because it's a bit like you can go and cook a recipe from recipe. You get the recipe, you get the food and you go and cook it or you go to a restaurant and eat it, right? Yeah, nice. It's completely different uh, experiences. So I think I can you use that uh, analogy to explain a little bit of differences of building an internal team or using an external party. Because yeah. uh, sometimes using an external party will get to results quicker because you get people that will be trained and ramped up and uh, they've done it day in, day out. They're specialists in it. And if you are building a team from scratch, uh, you often have to factor in the mistakes. Reality. The reality. Let's call it reality. By the way, yeah. so that was an awesome answer. Then you, you chimed into being sales mode, which is awesome, which is just back to the proud of your, of your it, went, it went into why you guys are awesome, which is awesome. Um, I didn't ask what mistakes they make and then why do you guys are great? No, but you jumped in there and said that we're going to attach, by the way, in the comments of this podcast, a link to your resource for anybody who thinks they could do it internally. We hope you can, um, really, if you digest what you just said at what's the number one buying mistake that buyers make, it, it really comes down to, they're making the mistake of underestimating the difficulty of the actual business development process. Right. And that's where. I connect a million in revenue to 10 million valuation back to why should it be cheap, right? And why should it be easy, right? Because if it was easy for everybody to build a business development, a team, a company and a business development team and, and become worth millions, everybody would do it. The reality yeah. is that that's not easy, right? So the biggest mistake that buyers make is that they don't understand the complexity. And that makes a lot of sense because if you don't understand the complexity of what you're buying, you're automatically going to have unrealistic expectations, mm -hmm. unrealistic time expectations, right? And it's it's like setting you up for failure because if you think a very difficult thing is very easy, how could you ever really be happy with the results, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's like their mental mindset will never line up with the reality of what they're getting, right? Versus a buyer that comes in like, this is, I, really, I know it's difficult. I know this is gonna take time. I know that we're going to have to warm up email addresses, approve quotes. I know that we're going to have to give you feedback on what's being said in the meeting. I know we're going to have to follow up in the meetings. I know that we're going to have to constantly review everything and give you real time. If they came to buy like that, you would be able to sell to them better and help them better, right? So anybody yeah. listening, yeah, it's, it's just yeah, no, And I think like any function you know, is, is difficult. Whenever it involves managing people, there is always going to be things that are completely unexpected. You know, someone is off sick or goes on maternity leave or whatever. And, and, and I think this is obviously every, we're all humans and these things happen. But the advantage of using an, an, an outsourced partner is that we have to deal with that problem, not you, right? Like we'll have to be, be ready to replace that resource or or make sure that that the, the flow of, of the leads and, and the pipeline is still there because yeah. you hire us to, to, to generate pipeline. You, you don't hire us to put seats, you know, people people calling, you know, we're yeah. there to generate pipeline. So so I think it's kind of the, the outcome uh, rather than um, everything that goes around it. Um, well, well, typically when people outsource, it's when they, they've hired an in-house team, like you said before, go ahead and do it. It'll be back in six months. There was our, or have tried. So it's, it's kind of this weird thing where I feel like they know it's difficult and I know they know it's hard, mm -hmm. but they think that acting like it's easy and everyone should do it is benefiting them in the buying process when it's really not. So it's almost as if like 
they might know these things and they might admit it, but when they come down to the selection process, they forget everything they know and they have these adversarial behaviors, right? And, and perhaps it's just a, a, a factor of how B2B sales has been lacking transparency and people have been signing mm -hmm. contracts with things that people don't need. So everyone's just always in this you versus me mode, right? Versus yeah. we are in this together, right? Yeah. Um, what would you say to that to anybody who, who, who's listening who might feel that way? What would be your best advice for them? Yeah, I think um, one of the things that we we do a lot, and that sounds again quite counterintuitive, is is we create a bit of friction during the sales process. And the reason why we do that is because, especially like with startups or less established companies, um, they come to us sometimes like with a massive pipeline problem, and they think that their issue is because they they aren't generating enough opportunities or like conversations. And sometimes you have to go back and look at, right, do you actually know what message is resonating? What is actually your ICP? Um, is your product mature enough to go to market? So th there is a lot of questions we need to ask before we take on a client, because if we don't believe on the value proposition and if we don't help them to build those foundations and have those kind of fundamentals in place, then we can't be successful, right? So one of the hardest things that um, we find is on our kickoff calls is when we ask the question to our client, what are the three things that make you different? Or why would somebody spend 30 minutes of their time speaking to you and not to your competitor? You wouldn't believe how difficult it is for them. No, I would. 90% would you answer that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, and the whole, um, the whole objective of, of, of kind of the SDR work is, is us talking about benefits and not features, right? What's the value? Not, not like how cool is your software? It's like, what is the value? What is the business value for the person that you're talking about? So, so there is a lot of work that we have to do in extracting that out of the clients, because especially, as I said, that the, the more kind of um, startups and less established vendors, because they are often still figuring it out and we have to be there helping them to here. do that. Expectations are here. The understanding of their buyers are here. The understanding of their offers here and their values here. So if you really expectations are here and your understanding is here and you're adversarial with the mm -hmm. sales agency that's hiring and just demanding results, you're really missing reality of what exactly. they know. And, yeah. I, and, and yeah, and it's like they're coming to hire you guys because they know they have a problem, but they won't admit it because they think that admitting it is a weakness. What, and that what that causes is lost money, right? Because if they're if they are able to look in the mirror and say, "Hey, Katrina, we're having a problem. We don't know the answers to that. Um, we know that it's going to take some time to get results because we know we need to figure out our messaging and and our unique selling proposition." They would get a higher ROI, right? So yeah, you know, you've been muscling like me. I, we we like muscle our way through with that fifty thousand ACV where we we don't educate them enough because we know we can't, but we can show them an ROI. But if they mm -hmm really understood the difficulties and really were honest with themselves and us as, as leaders in B2B lead gen, they'd make more money. Right. And that's yeah. what this is all about. Right. So, um, listen, this has been awesome. I, I, I plan on having you on more often to pick your brain more. I'm, I'm even more pumped that I found like that. I know that you're, you were an SDR cause now I feel mm -hmm. like you know, we've, we've been in the trenches together. Cause I too, as a CEO have also been an SDR my whole life as well. So, and now it just makes sense. Right. Like I was, I was, we know how hard a job is, right, Amir? Like, I have yeah. so much respect for SDRs because it, it, I mean, 
it can be so disheartening as well to get so much rejection and like you just have to power through it and and I think often SDRs are underappreciated so I do have a lot of respect for SDRs having done the job myself and seeing how hard our team works it's like kudos to them 100 and I, I know the sales agency like that, that that a lot of sales agencies struggle to produce high quality content like you and, and high content marketing and, and they're probably not promoting from within with their SDRs right they're probably not identifying the top talent that can take all those skills and, and create amazing content. So that's also an opportunity for agencies to grow too. This has been awesome. If somebody wants to reach out to you to pick your brain, to, to learn more about your journey from an SDR to a marketing leader, to hire you guys, where can they find you? What's the best way for them to connect with you? So the easiest way is probably on LinkedIn. So uh, you can find me there, Katarina Hoch, and then my email address is there as well. And check out operatics.net. There is, as you mentioned, a ton of valuable content for uh, revenue leaders. Um, we also have our podcast, B2B Revenue Acceleration. Check it out. Um, so yeah. never, I never get invited. So sad. There I'll, we go, Amir. I'll, I'll you will definitely be, be our guest soon. <laughs> I'm an SDR. I'm not afraid to ask. I'm not, that's, that's not one of my issues. Thank you again for joining. Everybody, I appreciate you tuning in to the Transform Sales Podcast. We are going to be interviewing more amazing leaders like Katrina, and we're going to be picking their brains so that people can learn, they can grow together. And uh, thank you. It's been, it's been wonderful. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you for the time. You.